Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Peter Loving, founder of the UI UX agency User Active. In this episode, he will share with us his strategies to improve onboarding, increase activation and retention, and his framework on when you need to redesign flows, features, or your entire product. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Victor. Yeah, it's uh, been looking forward to this one. Why don't you tell everybody a bit about yourself, your background, and of course, user active. So I, I come from a background of design. Back in university, probably about 15 years ago, I studied product design. So this is the industrial kind of product design with 3D consumer products. And um, when I came out of that, I just was really fascinated by the, the web and the things that were happening at that time. So gradually, I moved over to working in the web. And I found that there's a lot of transferable stuff. I mean, the design processes and the design approach is very much the same. So I think a good product designer in general, you know, can, tr can translate across to, to digital product design. So I found that really great and I've been designing uh, products ever since uh, and now specialize in software. So I run UserActive, which is a product design agency for SaaS. So we design um, meaningful products users love and focus on UI and UX. Wonderful. I didn't know that you studied product design, like the 3D product design at, at university. And, and the interesting part is that probably designers who only ever studied more of the UI part and not the product design part, that's where, where this entire research and what is this going to be used for and who is who's my target audience, that's, that's all kind of the same with physical products as well, right? What, what people kind of forgot with UI. Yeah. It was such a good grounding because you essentially learn to research the marketplace. You learn to identify problems that exist in the marketplace and, and, and really research and understand the people that have these problems and how to solve them. And that's no different from software. It's completely the same. So it's, a, it's an amazing background to have. And then also, I just think on the other side, for learning about uh, the technical side, I think just understanding a bit of front-end programming and development really helps too. So I think a good, a grounded product designer should should be well-versed with kind of understanding the market side of things and also the technical side, but that they're bringing to the table their real, their real design skills and their problem-solving skills, and those are the core skills for, for a great designer. Now, uh, let's dive into UX Lord. A little bit. A lot of our listeners are uh, beginning to explore what what UX is and what that means for their product, especially when when first designing one, when first coming up with one, but also when improving UX later on. And UI UX is always used very interchangeably, right? You say UI UX designer, you say I'm going to improve the UI and UX of my product. It, it, it's very, it's almost as if it were one phrase. So, what is UX and what is UX not? Obviously, it stands for user experience. So thinking about how the person experiences your product, it's really key to think about this user, you know, how will they do things? How will they achieve goals? And thinking about the product, you know, what is the functionality and how does that functionality work? So I feel that UX is very much a exercise of understanding the person using the product and then using your problem-solving skills, your creative skills to 
enable that person to use the product in the most easy, intuitive, and best way. So fundamentally speaking, UX is the process of researching and understanding somebody and then creating a product that fits them. And we do this with, on the research side, we do this with interviews, observations, um, research, you can have focus groups, you can observe how users test something. But we also do it with prototyping. And the core skills here are kind of mapping out user journeys, doing wire flows and wireframes to provide structure, put together structure and um, and interactions around how, how the product delivers the results that it delivers. And then sometimes prototyping, which would be interactive wireframes. And the great thing about that is that you can start putting that in front of users and observing how they interact with it. And if if your approach is providing the best experience that could be done. So yeah, it's it's, it's quite a range of, of tasks, um, but re- really the focus here is making sure that the user has the best possible solution to their problem. And there's a big overlap to, to product management, obviously, as in, in, in terms of understanding what to build for whom and in what order also, and, and what's the easiest solution to build for someone. Who should hire a UX specialist outside of their organization versus who should hire someone in-house, ideally? I think it depends on the makeup of the organization. So organizations that are quite adept at managing products and managing designers and understanding the process for them it can be can be quite an easy process to to hire in house particularly if they have a long term need for this role right so they will find that uh, i mean their experience so they say they know the ins and outs and they will find that it's it's not so difficult onboarding and and bringing that role into their team or their organization i would say that the the organizations that don't have experience with with ux and they don't understand the process very well they need a more kind of consultative approach because there's there's some education for them that they're learning a new kind of role, a new um, expertise. So it can be good for them to to bring in an experienced person who can come and take ownership of that role and um, explain and, and and show how how it's done effectively. And it's it might be somebody who doesn't need you know a team structure around them. Another t- type of organization that could benefit from using an external uh, kind of UX consultant would be someone who just has a temporary need. Maybe they don't need it for the long term, but maybe they have some problem areas in their product or platform and they want to just address these and bring bring somebody in. One other area that, that is important as well is if you're building something new, you might want to work with somebody temporarily when you're building something new to, to have that UX expertise so that it, it starts off the project in the right way. So yeah, it's, it's fairly complex. And I think it just comes down to the organization and their preferences and how they're working at that current time and what their requirements are. What do you see are the biggest mistakes that SaaS founders make when it comes to UX? It's almost like uh, I don't see it in terms of mistakes, but it's it, it quite often it's that UX has been overlooked. So over time, they might be developing something. You know, if you're if you're a software founder and you've been developing a product and you have a technical background and your team is predominantly technical, then what what can happen is that a product gets built over time and gradually the the UX 
kind of deteriorates it you know it, it can it can as a product product gets more complex it's quite hard to maintain a great ux so it can be that it lapses and then it gets to a point after two three years where the ux requires a lot of work you know so it's a big project going back not just for for a designer or a ux specialist but also you know changing the product for the for the developers to then kind of rebuild this product to, to provide it that great UX. So that's that's one big um, challenge that I see happening a lot. And sometimes it is also not necessarily having the best insight into the UX challenges in, the, in a project. And then after building a product and working with it for some time, it can, you know, there can be issues that can become apparent. So there can be friction in certain areas of the product. Onboarding can have its friction moments and even, you know, using the product day to day. There can be friction that's been built in by by not having great UX. I mean, the great thing about it is it is that that, that kind of issue can always be addressed and resolved and improved. So it's very much you know, in, in SaaS, it's very much a game of iteration on the product side. You're always iterating to improve. And UX is another one of those things that that requires a kind of constant iterations for improvement. And it makes a lot of sense because when you've been working on a product, almost doesn't matter whether you have a tech background or, or, or a different background, but you've been working on it for three years, you know the ins and outs of it, you know exactly where what sits, you know, you your commonly used features hidden behind you know three clicks or four but it doesn't matter you know it right and you just might not notice how that impacts onboarding or uh you know fresh user starting to use your application which leads me to towards onboarding activation and at retention so what do you commonly do to improve these metrics how does that look like as a ux specialist well, there are a number of areas that uh, you, can, you can have these issues with, right? And it always depends on on the the situation of the of the company that's that's uh, that we're discuss, discussing this with. Software founders are, are really smart people, super intelligent people generally, and when you talk with them, they know pretty well the difficulties within their within their product. And every time we speak with someone, they come with a with a specific problem. They say, "Oh, something like, hey, we're having a problem with in during onboarding. There's a particular integration we need our users to do, and it's quite challenging. It's it, it creates friction. They might need a developer to actually implement this integration, and we find that 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 could be a cause for drop off." So what we do is we we want to understand the problem first of all right so we want some metrics around this you know how many people struggle with this particular issue during onboarding what do they typically do is it costing customers and signups you know do they churn and then find some other product that that has a slightly easier onboarding process and we get to understand that problem you can do that by using uh, product analytics to to monitor behavior you can observe uh, session recordings. You can also interview some users. So one of the most powerful things is, is speaking with users to understand them. And particularly, this is a bit harder, but particularly speaking with users that have either cancelled or churned because 
you find out the problem or the reason why they left, right? So we we the, the first part of it is is gathering a good understanding of the problem, and then once you have that, you can just go to the to the drawing board. You know, we 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 spend quite a bit of time on whiteboarding, and nowadays you can use products like Miro, which is really great for this. We map out the the, the journey that the user currently takes. We observe it. We discuss it. We look at where the problems might be. We look at the product too, and we do that journey ourselves. And then later on, we we kind of ideate and work through uh, what would the ideal situation look like. And there are always problems and restraints. And the key thing is, how do you design something great, considering that these restraints are unavoidable, that there are challenges in there that we cannot you know, just get rid of something like the integration might need to be done for a product. So, you know, we have to work with these constraints and, and, and do the best we can understanding that there's an unavoidable challenge in there. So we then iterate through designs and this can be a process of working collaboratively with founders, with other designers, getting people's opinions, taking designs back to users and saying, Hey, what do you think about this flow? Does that improve the process that you've taken many times within this product, do you think this would work for you? That's what the, the process looks like until you until you reach a great design layout, and um, we always end up with a you know a great UI design that in, incorporates all of the interactions in this flow that we can then hand over to a developer team, and then you know, you know the latter stage of this is monitoring that. We want to see if there's uplift. We want to observe improvements and see if there's any tweaks that still need to be done. But that, that's the general process. I find it interesting because you say, well, we find out there's an unavoidable integration or bigger thing that we need to build. But I, I think that's fine if you understand, hey, this one thing is truly not avoidable. and But then we know we can invest into that. And we know this will actually work. It's very likely this will fix our problem because I think SaaS founders, especially technical SaaS founders, um, quickly jump to conclusions that we need to build more and we need to build this feature and I'm sure that feature will will improve onboarding or retention or or will be loved by our users and that can be very costly in iterating outside of development before spending money on that before going down four or five six sprints of of developing a deep integration to something it just might make sense to really really validate that yeah, I've seen that many times, actually. I mean, touching on your point of, of, of continually building something, that's the temptation to be, you know, continually releasing features into the product and because it's seen as a more kind of powerful product that has more functionality. But the real thing that makes a big difference is focusing on activation. So each time a new feature is, is developed, it's making putting all your energy into activating that feature, making sure that there's uptake and that your existing users are starting to adopt that feature. Because otherwise, you get into the danger of having uh, features that are not being utilized and that's actually really costly, not just you know financially, but it's costly to the product experience as well. So I think the challenge with that is that if you have a technical team, the expertise is in building uh, functionality and features, but the activation side of things is is almost a product management, product marketing element. So it needs the core skills of sharing and distributing and letting people you know you know raising awareness of this feature and the power of it and and how they can benefit from it the other thing is about you know something unavoidable within within the onboarding process 
Well, sometimes we come up against that, you know, there is an integration that simply has to be done for the product to work. But other times we do find things that we can remove and they have an incredible improvement on the on the experience, right? So it's not always just massive uh, constraints that we're working with. Sometimes you see something and you think, hey, actually, we don't need to make them do this at this step in the onboarding process. We can remove it. And, and that can really make the, the task a lot easier. Are there very specific UX patterns within the SaaS industry that people should be following? Is that something that you deploy oftentimes? I mean, I guess the simplest one is, you know, where to find settings, where to find billings, but that's less of a core feature, I would say. Is there are there other patterns that that really do exist and people can break by not employing them? Generally, we have well, there's there's a few uh, a few tools that we use over and over again in SaaS. We always assess, you know, who it works for, which product it works for. But generally, throughout sign up, it's making that that sign up easy, frictionless. Once the user is in the product, and, and particularly for brand new users, to give them a really great product experience, we start off with, okay, the first thing we want to do is 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 make them feel motivated and excited about the product. So we present them with a you know, a congratulations kind of welcome to the product, a welcome screen or flow. It can just be a simple thing. It could be a video or it could be a nice graphic and some some good copy. From there, we usually recommend giving the user an orientation of the product. So showing them that this product understands the context of their challenges and what they're trying to achieve, and then highlighting the key value points within the product. So this might be three to five slides just running through, okay, this product is really going to help you get this result. It will be great. Then here are the three or four key features that you should really get value from and what they do. And then something that just kind of wraps up that that interaction and drops them into a good starting point within the product. So we call that an orientation flow. And we, 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 we think that's a really important kind of first experience to just orientate your new user. And once they're in, we use things like checklists to get them through the process of uh, adoption, get them to start using the product. We use walkthroughs with tool tips. So th- these are a number of kind of patterns that we use over and over again. And a huge one that, that I come across a lot and sometimes surprises me how much we see this, is um, empty states for screens within software. So a lot of times a user will, who's new to a product can land into particular screens, might even be the dashboard, and it's empty because obviously their account has no data yet. And what we would do as a designer is just try to make that experience great and, and treat it as a starting point. So it's it's like a, a welcome to this screen, this new this feature that you haven't used yet. Here's what it can do and how you would use it. And hey, get started here and begin your flow for for populating this this screen with 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 data. And I think it just it just enables them to visualize this product benefiting them and how how it would work once they get going. So it kind of gets them past that hurdle. Whereas when you land in an empty screen, it's, it's quite uninspiring if there's no encouragement to get started and no nothing visualizing how that screen can work for you. So that yeah, those are some typical patterns and flows that we use in our design. We find that we repeat those uh, quite frequently. 
That is super helpful. And I wanted to touch on another thing you mentioned, um, because you spoke a lot about getting data from users, qualitative data, especially talking to users, interviews. And uh, I wanted to uh, speak a little bit about uh, quantitative data for a second. What tools do you use? How, how do you gather quantitative data within a SaaS? We generally break it down into two types. So we take behavioral data, behavioral data from, from analytics tools, and then we take feedback, you know, feedback at scale. So for, for behavioral data, um, we'd use something like Mixpanel or Heap connected into the product. It just enables us to see analytics. We might be observing something like how many users get to the end of a, of a flow, a certain journey. We'll track, you know, how many people from the start to the finish, how long it takes. And we track things like utilization, you know, which which features are being utilized the most and how. And I find just the top top level statistics and, and, and you know, analysis is, is really, really helpful for that. And then the second uh, type of gathering user feedback at scale can be things like, just pop-ups within a product that says, if you're monitoring a particular feature or interaction, you might say, you know, how, how useful was this feature and give, give an option out of five. Because what you want is a kind of score or a rating that you can aggregate and you can get insight from. And you want it on something specific. So you can say, oh, okay, so this new feature, you know, the, the majority of users found it a three out of five, you know, in terms of how useful it was or how easy it was. We'd be tracking things like that. How useful, how easy is this feature? And then uh, things like NPS is, is a really good thing to be tracking. Uh, and it's an easy one to, to do. Just get a get a score of, of how likely somebody is to recommend the product to somebody else. And general feedback. I mean, if you want open text feedback, it's great to get a sense of specific issues or requests users have, but it's quite hard to use that data at scale to aggregate that data and to get um, insights that, that can be applied generally across the product. They're usually quite specific things. So um, for that reason, we take think like, you know, metric scores or, you know, out of five or out of 10 uh, for, for, for feedback at scale. The last topic I wanted to touch on is, and we, we kind of spoke about that, I think uh, in, in like one or two words, but I guess that's what a lot of people fear. And you, you said, especially after a few years, that, that there's a risk of that. When do I need to really redesign my entire product? When does that happen? And what's like pretty definitive like sign that says, hey, you, you might want to look into not just redesigning a small flow or onboarding or this feature, but actually we should look at your entire product. The best time is uh, when you find that there's a problem that's hurting the business, right? And usually we we don't tend to, to recommend redesigning the whole product because a lot, a lot of products can be really big and complex and there's a lot of work that might go into that. So what we do, which is really common, and a lot of founders say this to me, is they heard, you probably heard of this term, it's um, getting the low-hanging fruit. You know, they always say, okay, we want to start Everybody wants the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to start with the low-hanging fruit. And it, and it makes sense. It's really great. What what's the What are the things that we can have the biggest impact on with the least resource or, or effort? So we, we always think about the quick wins. 
I don't always recommend just only focusing on the quick quick wins because they might be in very different areas of the product. So the best way to approach this is is the is the the biggest problems, the biggest problems in the product. Is there something that's making the product difficult to sell? We worked with a a software company that have had their product for around 15, 16 years, and it's a great product, technically quite advanced and functionally rich. But the UI was starting to look old and they were finding that some of the feedback was that the UI looks quite dated. So it was got to a point where it's costing them sales and the investment in reskinning or, or refreshing the product would really pay off in the long term. So that, that's a great example of investing. And then another another experience with uh, a client we've been working with is a frictional point in the onboarding journey, which is costing new users. What might happen is that they can go off to a competitor who might have a more seamless onboarding and, you know, you lose a potential user to a competitor, which, which can really hurt. So if you're seeing issues like that, other examples might be, you know, churn is getting high, utilization is low, activation on, on features or adoption of the product overall isn't great. These are things that can be improved that will actually affect bottom line revenue. You know, they'll have an impact on MRR. So we take them in isolation. We look at the problems and and we put together a design sprint to resolve this particular problem. And so we'll do a product that way. And if it is over time, a whole product that needs redesigning, we would do it piece by piece, you know, looking at, at one area of the product, working on that, later moving over to a certain feature or screen by screen. So that en- enables us to work to a roadmap. And also it means that we're we're collaborating with the development team. We're handing off as we've, you, you know, resolved the design for one section, we're handing it off and moving over to a, another. So we're building momentum. And sometimes it's just parts of a product. Sometimes it's the whole thing. And um, yeah, a number, of, a number of reasons. But mostly I would say if it's costing you, costing you revenue or other, you know, problems that are impacting the business. So if I wanted to work with UX specialists like yourself, what should I best prepare so that, that you, can, you can help me best? I think having a good handle on the what needs to be done first of all, what you want to focus on, what 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 are the big problems. So, and like I said earlier, found, software founders know the problems within their their product. They usually know the issues. They have a really good handle on it. A vision as well. You know, what is it that you want to improve? What's the in software we talk about the desired outcome for users, but I always talk about this in design sprints. You know, what's the desired outcome? What what are we you know, if you invest in product design, what do you want the result to be? Are we looking for increased adoption? Are we looking to extend the lifetime value uh, or reduce churn? And if 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 we think about it in terms of an investment, which de- design definitely is, then what's the ROI? You know, can we track that and and can we quantify that in terms of revenue? If you're losing you know, say say you have about uh, a thousand new users a month, and forty percent of those churn, and they have a lifetime value of seven thousand dollars. You can really quantify that. You know, if we improve the onboarding process by twenty percent, you know, that could save a significant amount of revenue over the long term. So, 
we can actually quantify it. So, so coming with an idea of the desired outcome for your investment in design is great. I'd say often they have an idea, but they don't know. But we, we actually go through that exercise and we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to design to these targets, you know, and we're going we're gonna to monitor, you know, have we been ex- successful with this design sprint in achieving the impact that we wanted to? That is super helpful. Um, thank you so much, Peter, for coming on the show. This is really, really, really interesting and insightful. Where can we learn more about you as well as UserActive? If uh, anyone needs help or advice, feel free to write out to me just via email. So it's peter at useractive.io. I'm always happy to help founders. I love looking at products, uh, you know, whether we work together or not. It's something that we always do. Yeah, you can check out our website, useractive.io. You can book a call if you need to. But yeah, that's, that's, that's generally where I'd, I'd recommend reaching out. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed having a, having a conversation with you today. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.